Hello, and welcome to Geek Between the Lines, the podcast that explores compelling themes in some of our favorite geeky properties. I'm Brittany. I'm Chris. And this week, we're going to be discussing gender in Lord of the Rings. We sure are. Well, before we get started, what do you identify on the gender spectrum or spectrums? So, pronoun-wise, I always use she, her. I've thought about it over the years. Is that what I'd actually want to use? Or is that just what I've default used, Mm. you know? And it just gets complicated because I think I like something gender neutral rather than specific. Especially because things in society are so dichotomized, Mm -hmm. right? But in a dichotomized society, people still interact with me and my experience has been the experience of a woman. Mm. So to not use that also feels, I don't know, for for me personally, a little like I'm missing part of the experiences that I have received and the messages I've received about me being a woman. So yeah, I'm fine with she, her, or... I wouldn't be bothered with they, them, or, or anything like that either. So, hmm. yeah. What about um, you? I, uh, I go by him, her pronouns. I consider myself a cisgendered man. Him, her pronouns. Did I say him, her? You totally Him, did. his, my apologies. <laughs> I'm learning something new about you. <laughs> no, I, uh, I, yeah, him, his pronouns. And, yeah, I'm just, just, yeah, I've never really questioned that myself. I, I certainly defaulted that way. You know, there was never a time where I thought, what gender am I? And since I've learned more about that in the times that I've, I've wondered whether there would be a, another one I'd prefer, I, I don't think that I, my experience has warranted that or, or that my inner identity kind of sees that. But I, I do uh, think that the idea of more gender neutral pronouns and words and things like that are always good. And those are things I, I strive to, to have. The other day I was at a family gathering and we were talking about whether me and my cousins are uncles or aunts or what have you. And I was like, oh, there's no gender neutral pronoun or gender neutral word for an uncle or an aunt. Mm. That's a bummer because I, I think that'd be nice to go by, you know, if there was a gender neutral version of that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's like parent mm-hmm. or grandparent, something like that. But exactly. Yeah, or even I child or what have you. But totally. that's that's one that really Sibling. doesn't have it exactly mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah so i'm i mean i'd be fine going by they them or anything else i really don't mind any either way mm-hmm. um, but i obviously have the privilege to not mind absolutely absolutely for us we usually go by partner mm-hmm. we don't get super bothered if people are like ah, oh, girlfriend boyfriend whatnot but we usually say it that way mm-hmm. i can't remember the last time i called you my girlfriend that's weird <laughs> <laughs> Which is good. I mean, that shows like the normative function of language, you know, where mm. if you stop using something a certain way, your brain stops working in a way that puts that word with that meaning, and then it starts to define things differently. Yeah. Which is why it's so important to use different kinds of languages. Yeah. And be aware of the languages that we are using. Exactly. Well, should we go into our quote then? I think that's a great idea. I would give preface, but we don't really need it. All I will say is that we're using the movie version of this quote rather than the book one just because this one just feels a little more natural. You fool. No man can kill me. Die now. I am no man. And then badass sword to face. To gaping void where face would normally be. Where face 
can be seen if a ring is on. Yes. Face place. Face place. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, but yes, of course, this was the Witch King of Angmar and Eowyn. Yes. In The Return of the King. One of the best quotes. It is very good. Everything. Yeah. <laughs> One of the other things I like about the movie version is that I like that the movie version does not make it as ambiguous whether being killed by no man refers to Eowyn or to Mary. Mm-hmm. Because in the books, it's all like, you know, he, he uses a Dunedain blade, which the Witch King is going to be more susceptible to. And so that, like, really weakens him in the book, whereas in the movies, it kind of just, like, trips him up for a second. And it's much more clearly Eowyn's blade to the face that is what, what kills him. Yes, of course. Which usually blades to the face would do. Typically. Sorry, so, blade to the face place. <laughs> to the face place. Well, something I do like in the book, though, that doesn't happen in the movie, is that when the Witch King says that, she just, like, laughs at him. <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't really want to try to fake laugh. <laughs> I'm no man. <laughs> Part Just of that like laugh that. was fake? That's, That's almost... how Eowyn laughs. Okay, it's not my laugh. I'm in character. But yeah, I do kind of love that. Just like in this intense situation, she can still laugh at it. You're, Absolutely. I'm the fool. You're the fool. Mm-hmm. And I do love that the quote brings out this assumption like you can tell anything for somebody under that much armor you Mm -hmm. really can't and obviously just because someone looks a certain way that doesn't mean that's what they are and and so i like that that brings it up like the witch king just makes this assumption she's like um no and his assumption kills him yeah he's literally killed by toxic masculinity (laughs) yes (laughs) yes Oh, word to... I was going to say the wise, but if you're toxically masculine, I wouldn't say you're wise. (laughs) A word to all you fools. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) This could kill you. (laughs) Well, we should probably start our analysis of gender in The Lord of the Rings. Okay. So what character do you have for me? Uh, Surprisingly enough, I brought Eowyn. What? Yes. I thought that for one... Why? Because she's like the only woman? (laughs) Yes. There's not a huge plethora of options when wanting to talk about something outside of the cisgendered male archetype. And so she was definitely one of the ones. But I think that that she does play that really interesting role where she does not seem to value or really seem to lean into a lot of things that we would typically consider as feminine. So when we see her at Edoras and and at Helm's Deep, we see her wanting to fight, right? Not wanting to heal, not wanting to do other things, wanting to to go out and use the skills that she has with swords, right? Now, like it's mm-hmm. not just like a fantasy; like she has been trained in these ways, and she wants to use that training and and, and do what she's best at, regardless of what roles society is placing on her, which I yeah. think is is really really interesting. And then she she you know she goes in and she pretends to be a man because of those gender roles that are that are so existent in that society one of the things i actually really appreciate about the book is that she does have an alias and that even mary doesn't know that she's eowyn right Mm -hmm. that she's able to disguise herself so well that she can be seen as just a male soldier and that's how she's presenting herself instead of it just being i've got a helmet on and i'm not looking anyone in the face 
which I, I appreciate because that's mm-hmm. that's not only something I think that's very interesting, but it's also historically true. Almost yeah. any big war, if not any big war throughout human history, has had women fighting there, oftentimes pretending to be men. These are, are really, really... Let's get down to business. Precisely. Exactly. <laughs> and so... I think that's that's very interesting. I think Eowyn's also a great character to bring up because, uh, you know, unlike Arwen, who at least in the movies is, you know, the other kind of big character, or even Galadriel, who's, you know, the one ruler that we have in Middle-earth that's female, Eowyn's the only one who really seems to have a story that actually engages with what it means to be a woman in this world. Arwen is clearly very able, and she is doted on by her father in ways that I think are gendered as well but her role and her only reason to like stay is oh i can have a child you right. know yeah which is very kind of uh female stereotyped totally she doesn't really seem to kind of engage with that in a critical way right mm-hmm. she doesn't say whether this is what what she wants and why she wants it outside of those kinds of tropey i'm in love with him we can bring life into the world etc kinds of things and Galadriel, I think, is an amazing ruler. She rules with Celeborn, but clearly is the one in charge. But they never really engage with what that means. Mm-hmm. But with Eowyn, you really do. You really do see a lot of how her as a woman and as a noble with responsibilities puts her in different kinds of situations where she can fall in love with the man, but also have responsibilities to Gondor and to Rohan and also what she believes is right and she makes decisions that are based off of really what she thinks is right and you know she does leave behind responsibilities of running Rohan while the menfolk are away which is a messed up thing that that's expected of her because she's a woman but it is also an important job yeah yeah and it's like well we need you to be able to rule if both of us die both of the male heirs right Mm -hmm. Which obviously already has problems, <laughs> but yeah, I think it's cool that J.R. Tolkien had her really prioritize doing what she thought was right in going against these patriarchal structures mm-hmm. that, you know, it's not just, oh, what's expected of her, but she really empowers herself to follow what she believes in, and even though everybody's like trying to stop her. I do like the the books and the movie. Not a ton of time is spent on it, but they critique the idea of these roles as not only impractical, mm-hmm. because, you know, through lines like, we learn early on that just because you don't know how to wield a blade doesn't mean you can't die by one, mm-hmm. right? So it's like, it's a very practical thing. Like, we should learn these things. Women should learn these things. But... On top of that it's just practical, it's it's also in critiquing this patriarchy, it has implications for, for women's safety, mm-hmm. which, again, it's not super, super overt, but it's there, which I appreciate. Yeah. It's interesting, though, because I, I, I do wonder how much that, how much you can read that practicality as the lesson there, because at the end of the day, you know, she, she probably is a good or great sword fighter. We don't really know how she is at fighting with the sword. The thing that makes her extraordinary in this circumstance... Well, she at least can hold up uh, against the Witch King. That's true, but not for long. But, I mean, no one really could. Well, exactly. Like, the fact that she can even hold up at all Yeah, so, I mean, it's quite possible that she is really, really good, right? We don't really see her outside of that battle. 
But the thing that ultimately makes her extraordinary as a warrior on the field is the fact that she's a woman, right? Mm -hmm. It is her definition as female, as not a man, that makes it that she has this extra power. And it does kind of still lean into the gender roles that say that she shouldn't have been there. For me, at least, the way I see, like, the thing that gives her the ability to kill the Witch King wouldn't be her womanness. It would be her skill. It would be actual actions on the battlefield outside of being a woman. And I think that there's some of that there, but if someone else had stabbed him in the face in the same way, then they wouldn't have killed him, right? And so at the end of the day... It is her womanness that makes well, that. Well, that would be the question, though. We're not sure. That's true. If Mary did, would it have or wouldn't it have? Right. We don't actually know. And in all honesty, we don't even know if what the Witch King said was true. That's true. You know, maybe that was one of his intimidation, to, you know, <laughs> like techniques. Maybe that's just what he believed because he's a toxically masculine, ridiculous, hubris of <laughs> a being. And maybe it was her belief in herself that did it. That's true. I mean, in the books, we know that it, that's a, a prophecy that was put in, like, in the Second Age or something. I forget mm-hmm. exactly who did it. But, yeah, that's, that's an interesting point, too. Anyway, why don't you, you bring up your plot? Okay, so I want to talk about Frodo and Sam's entire trip to Mordor. Okay. And how it really was characterized by a lot of gender bending hmm. in in a lot of ways. So obviously we have Sam who has roles that are kind of stereotypically seen as, you know, female support roles, mm-hmm. which obviously I say I can't say that in like normal voice. I have to say it with a tone. Yeah. <laughs> and she she also made quotation marks with her fingers. <laughs> yes. And so, yeah, he has those stereotypical roles of like cooking and serving and being the emotional support uh, etc etc and obviously some of those things you could also associate with class but at the very least definitely always associated with a stereotype of women Hmm. and so he has those but at the same time he's also has the role of Frodo's protector Hmm. He's the one who saves Frodo from Shelob and all of the rest of the orcs who take him. And then, you know, also Gollum and ultimately helps save Frodo from himself. So he has these like dual roles going on of serving, support, and protector, which I think is a really nice blend to just make him Sam and not specifically like oh the male counterpart friend Mm. uh so i think there's that going on and also just in general the fact that the only way they even are able to get through all of the horrors in their journey is through like the closeness and the vulnerability that they share together sam and frodo Mm. which is not common among I mean, maybe it's too much of a generalization to say men in general. (laughs) But representations of men. At the very least, representations of men, but also, I think, oftentimes, at least in in our cultural context, in our society, that that's also not seen. If men are going to have a really close, vulnerable relationship with someone, it's usually 
a woman mm. or that's that's a thing we commonly see or is or is expected through traditional concepts of masculinity oh absolutely yeah not that oh they can't or shouldn't but just because like this is the 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 social script that mm-hmm. everybody is given and most people follow yeah right but for them as friends they do things like frodo sleeping on sam's chest or in his arms and like this intense comfort and vulnerability and closeness that would be seen as like oh that's like so like i don't know terrible things would be said Mm -hmm. and obviously there are people in the fandom of lord of the rings who do love seeing them and thinking about them in a gay relationship which i'm totally fine with and there's some adorable fan art of that Mm -hmm. but i'm also totally fine with them it just being their friendship and a part of their friendship and so i think it's a really great part of their relationship but is so important plot wise because at the end of the day if you had two you know alpha males which again i'm using quotation marks anatone and i want to vomit like then <laughs> they would just you know kill each other for the ring on the way to mordor and everybody would have died mm-hmm. so it's them being different and not having a stereotypical masculine relationship that allows the world to be saved yeah absolutely it's really interesting because can as as you put out there sam is much more of the protector and and frodo's kind of the closest we come to being a damsel in lord of the rings right someone who is like rescued and is a end in themselves what do you mean end in themselves like this is the mission to protect this person right sam doesn't continue like he doesn't prioritize taking the ring to mount doom himself over ensuring that frodo is safe and that's typically seen in things where men will do that for women Right, Sam. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sam mm-hmm. storms the stronghold that has untold dangers inside in order to protect and save Frodo. But at the same time, Frodo's like, "I will take this to Mordor, even if we die in the process. I'm going to do it," which is not the typical stereotypical damsel. Of either. course, right? Yeah, yeah. But yeah. It's just it's an interesting kind of way of looking at their relationship for sure yeah and that's that's what i really like it's not like oh well in this way this is sam's female side and this is sam's male side it's this is sam this is frodo you know they are whole people yeah Yeah, absolutely yeah well if you don't mind i'm gonna uh, go into my question then go for it so with that conversation that kind of idea of their relationship being ungendered in those interesting ways how do you see sam coming back to Rosie. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, I mean, to me it's sad, <laughs> just because I am less of a romantic than I am fierce friendship type mm. of person. I, I can enjoy both if they're done well, but their friendship was so... I don't know, so beautiful to me that it, just the idea of them not ending up, I mean, sure, they can still be close and they can still spend time together and stuff, but like inevitably your priorities shift when you get married, have families, whatever, and then ultimately they were separated, right, mm-hmm. when when Frodo went to into Valinor. And so it always was kind of sad to me because I would have rather them just 
either been friends or just been in their own relationship. But, I mean, Rosie's cool too. (laughs) (laughs) But, I mean, I do like that even despite that, they did still prioritize their friendship in some ways. The fact that Frodo wanted Sam to live with him and... Then he was like, oh, well, I was going to, like, get married to Rosie. And then he's like, oh, I'll bring her, too. You know, and they, like, live together for a while and whatnot. I think that's really adorable. Mm. And that made me happy, too. Yeah. I do think it was interesting right after they put the ring into Mount Doom. And they think that they're going to die. And one of the things that Sam thinks about is Rosie Mm. and, and how... If he goes back, he would want to actually tell her how he feels and and whatnot. But then Frodo responds that he's glad to be with Sam at the end of all things. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I don't know. There's ah, there's so much there. There's so much you could, like, take from it with it. Yeah. Yeah, there really is. I think that that what you brought up with that him saying it at the end is an interesting kind of way of looking at, like, now that I've done this journey i've gained the masculinity or i've gained the the confidence to be able to finally profess my feelings right if you're looking at it through traditional lenses of what is masculine but i i don't necessarily see it that way yeah and i i kind of am seeing it kind of through a a weird place in between ideas of like the hero's journey and what often happens with homosexual or bisexual or other male and male relationships between soldiers at war which Hmm. it's time to come back to this is what chris is reading in grad school (laughs) uh my favorite segment of the the show um because i'm reading a book that's all about how gender and sexuality have been dealt with in germany from basically world war ii on and and how that engages with memory and all these other kinds of things and one Mm -hmm. of the things it talks about is how both in Nazism and outside of it uh, and after it, there are all these discussions about, you know, homosexuality and, and what that means for the German people. And and of course, I knew beforehand that many gay men were killed in concentration camps um, mm-hmm. and, and other things. But I didn't realize before reading this book that most of the, like, quote unquote, experts on sexuality and things like that in Nazi Germany saw homosexuality as something that any man could could participate in and only maybe two percent of them are just like it's not a lapse in heterosexuality but this is actually who they are and those are the ones who need to be killed and punished everyone else just needs to be re-educated or re-socialized or whatever else it might be all all icky but different kind of icky than what i was expecting (laughs) not just icky but i mean just horrendous you're right absolutely icky's much too docile a term yeah it's terrible right it's just interesting because I also was reading about how there was the with, within this this concept of all men can be can engage in homosexual relationships. There was condoms given out to soldiers, and they were given like mm. basically official letters that that certify that they can go and see a prostitute or a local woman or whatever else it might be. And one of the reasons they were doing that was to ensure that they didn't have homosexual relationships. And so this idea of, of men going off to war and having these homoerotic, homoromantic, homosexual relationships was kind of in my mind. And then seeing that through this lens of the hero's journey as as being something where they, they go, they go through these adventures, but at the end of it, they come back to the society and they come back changed, but they come back. 
to heteronormativity. Exactly. And mm-hmm. that's kind of what Sam is doing, is that he, he, he mm-hmm. was able to experience these fantastic things, and even you could say a romantic or erotic or what have you kind of relationship with Frodo, but at the end he comes back to that heteronormative structure that I'm guessing the Shire would probably, unfortunately, be big on. You know, they're big into tradition and things mm-hmm. like that. And so... Yeah, it's just a really interesting way of looking at at their relationship and how Sam Sam is able to come back and start a family and Frodo's not. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. And how much of that can be interpreted through gender and his ability to come back and and regain or gain for the first time even traditional concepts of masculinity. Yeah, it, w- it was kind of interesting because in in the past, I've thought about Frodo in that way, right? That maybe he has romantic feelings for Sam and either Sam is straight or he isn't, but in the end still chooses to be with Rosie instead of, of Frodo. But Frodo is like, no, that, you know, like, I'm not just going to go find some woman and, and be with them because that's not me and that's mm. not who I am and... So, yeah, it's something that I thought about in terms of a Frodo kind of coming back and not just engaging with culture in the way that would be expected or the way that maybe he would have thought about doing before. Mm-hmm. But I never really thought about it in, yeah, in terms of Sam, if he's just kind of coming back to, it's like, oh, well, those adventures are done. So now we're going back to the, the normal way things are done, you mm-hmm. know, again, quotes and grossness yes of course (laughs) (laughs) well what was your question for me so my question for you is kind of just wondering if you think that tolkien putting in things like there being almost no physical indicators of dwarfs in terms of what sex they are born not necessarily talking about what gender they subscribe to also having no real idea about entwives so well also that's a gross term because why is wives in their name but anyways <laughs> uh us not knowing really anything about yeah kind of like differences between genders necessarily so like those types of ideas are those do you think indicators of Tolkien kind of being progressive in some significant ways in thinking about some of these things in non-traditional ways, despite there still being hardly any female characters? My gut reaction is no. (laughs) (laughs) Because I don't feel like that's done for the purpose of providing those interesting things. I think that we can read a lot of that into it, and and I think that, that his world building is just so good that you can read a lot of that into it but i don't think it's world building that's done consciously to be representational or progressive because if it was he would not have nine men be the oh <laughs> the for kids. sure i mean i don't know enough about him to comment on his his actual politics totally, totally. but i think that it is telling that when he conceives of certain groups within the the worlds that he's building he does see gender as a locus of how society is constructed and how how norms are created right and so for the ents and for the dwarves in particular he tries to see new ways of constructing that that would be novel and unique and place them outside of the norm though as you mentioned the ent wives still kind of fall within our problematic views of gender as well but 
Yeah, I think with the dwarves, it's an interesting question. I also think that the fact that we don't see any dwarven women... That we know of. <laughs> I mean, that's true. Uh, any, And we don't have any dwarven characters that identify as female or go by a female pronoun. I'll put it that way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Shows that I think he gave it thought in a meta scale, but he didn't really put the time and effort into at least including what that looks like for the, the people and the characters that would live in that kind of society. He, he just kind of made this kind of broad stroke and then moved on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because that's something that's kind of interesting to me because like I haven't studied about gender and sexuality and things like that in the 30s and 40s, which mm-hmm. is when he was writing these books. So I can't speak to that so much. But it is interesting how many kind of different elements even what we were talking about with Elwyn that are there or at least could possibly be there or you have like obviously Galadriel being in power and being a ring bearer Mm -hmm. as well and one that ends up being able to resist the ring Mm -hmm. and so you do have these different elements so yeah it just sometimes makes me wonder because we live in such a distinctly toxically masculine society now, I'm not saying that it wasn't before. Obviously it was, but I don't know. I feel like some of these things, if they were put in such a big mainstream thing now, even when they made them into movies, they could have pushed it further mm. from, you know, because it was in the 2000s. It's not like, oh no. This is so new. We've never heard of any of this stuff before. But they didn't, right? And so it's, I don't know, it's just interesting. I mean, they did with Evangeline Lilly's characters in the Hobbit movies to to make success. But they're able to do something more there where I don't remember the character's name because she wasn't in the books. Uh, oh, the elf? Yeah. Woman? The elven woman. That's that's where they felt more comfortable, like, in the, when they're making these movies, going back and trying to, like, add in different kinds of representations and inclusions. For sure, yeah. Yeah, they, they didn't at all. Well, I mean, they added Arwen in, and I think part of that That's was true. because they're like, oh, no, we don't have any women. Like we, Our whole first movie has no female characters. <laughs> Except until they get to Lothlorien. Yeah. This is the problem. That's true, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. interesting. Well, I suppose we should go on to our missed opportunities. So uh, all I wrote down was obvies. Yeah, right. Just because <laughs> like... there's, there's so many there. You know, and, and as I was thinking, I was like, oh, there should have been at least one of the nine, if not five of the nine, should have been women of the fellowship. Yeah. Should and, have. And, you know, maybe some of the Nazgul. Yeah, the right. Nazgul. The Council of Elrond would have been much better if it was populated by some women as well. Yeah. Or some, I should say, some non men, you know, some people mm-hmm. who were not just clearly masculine or male. I think that it could have done great to really explore what it means to be non-gendered, right? Why Absolutely. is Treebeard a he? Um, mm-hmm. I think that would be very interesting. More specifically, I think that when I was thinking about Eowyn, in the books in particular, I'm not a huge fan of how she, like, is depressed because her family's died and things like that. And, like, it's like falling in love with Faramir that brings her out of it. Um, I was like, how are you going to end this sentence? Like, I'm not a fan of how she's depressed because her family died. No, no, no. I was like, like, um... I'm not a fan of how, like, oh, she meets a man and he can, like, save her, you know? Yeah, well, and I was going to say on that point, too, it's not like, oh, 
you know what? You got rid of the Witch King. Maybe you should be the queen or king or whatever word you want to use of Edoras instead of, oh, now you'll just get absorbed into Faramir's family. For sure. And his little kingdom, which definitely bothers me. Yeah, I think it did make it sound like they were kind of like co-ruling it, but still it's, it's. I mean, I love Faramir. Why can't she be the sole ruler? Yeah. And she should. He can go to his books and be the scholar and she'll be the one who's rallying the people. Yeah. And it goes back to just, it wouldn't be as bad if there were other female characters. Yeah. But when you're the only female character and you have to end up with a man, mm-hmm. it's troublesome. Yeah. So. Absolutely. So there were a lot of missed opportunities. For sure. Yeah. But also some, some things that there are some openings, I think, that are nice that people even in this decade can engage with in really interesting ways. Mm-hmm. Wow, look at you. Taking a missed opportunities to live on a positive note. Positive. Yeah. It's true. Well, I think the only reason I give it any positive points is because it was like the 30s and 40s. Mm-hmm. It was ri- it's of its time. Yeah. You know, it is amazing yeah. in so many ways. It falls short in so many ways, but I think I just, I don't hold it quite to the same standard I would hold something that was written in the 90s too. So like for the new Amazon Prime series, I'm looking for much better representation. Oh yeah. And if they don't have it, then we will have a whole freaking episode about that and just complain about everything. For sure. I mean. We're still going to watch it, obviously. Yeah. (laughs) We'll We'll just be muttering. Very loudly. (laughs) (laughs) The opposite. I'm muttering. You're being loud. Well, what what's your takeaway then? Is that is that your takeaway that that yeah. it's of its time and that though it brings some openings, it could have been done much better and you'd expect better from today? I think my takeaway would be it would be really interesting to reread them and it can be a little hard when you're watching because it's so clear who these characters are and like the actors that are playing them. But I just think it would be interesting to think about yeah, reading some of these characters as different than the way I've read them before or seen them before and see if there's, yeah, other openings to read characters through a different representation or different gender or no gender or whatnot. Yeah, I think that's my takeaway too is is similarly, I've liked this discussion very much, but we still have often focused on the binary, which most discussions of gender, I imagine, will focus on them a lot. But I want to challenge myself when I'm trying to deconstruct gender in the media I'm, I'm taking in that I also challenge myself not just to look at things within the binary, but things outside the binary, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've enjoyed seeing ideas of gender instead of being one spectrum, being multiple spectrums, where you can have zero to a hundred masculinity and zero to a hundred femininity, and it doesn't have to be a spectrum of you know, either or exactly. You can have 75, 25 or whatever else you might, or zero, zero or whatever else it might be. So I think that's interesting. And then when you bring in sexuality, obviously things get even more vibrant and, and much more spectrums that you could bring in. So I I'm, would like to challenge myself when I'm having these kinds of conversations and thinking about these kinds of things to also do that, to also think about them in that, in those ways. Yeah, definitely. Well, do you have what we'll be discussing next week? So we're going to be talking about Hunger Games. Yes. And our theme is going to be 
Nationalism. Nationalism in the Hunger Games. That's going to be awesome. <laughs> right? I forgot we had nationalism as a theme. Yay. That would be wonderful. Okay, <laughs> great. Well, thanks for listening to this week's episode of Geek Between the Lines. You can find us on social media by searching for Geek Between the Lines on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or Pinterest. You can also go to our website, bit.ly slash geekbetweenthelines, or go to our Patreon site at patreon.com slash geekbetweenthelines. With that, we're going to finish up this week. Please make sure that you send us your ratings and reviews. Tell a friend and really help us get the word out. We are nearing our, our one-year anniversary and yeah. we're had some interesting plans for what we might do there. But part of that is is to expand our audience. And we so we're really, really hoping to do that. And we'll, we'll keep talking to you about different ways that you can. But for now, definitely tell a friend. And if you do, you or your friend should send us an email to let us know because it's, it's always great to hear from when our podcast is going to, to new audiences. Absolutely. Well, we're going to see you next week. Until then, geek Geek out. out.